expecting a promotion to become the head of the kindergarten department at his school, and he was passed over. And so he did, at that point, what any self-respecting professional who has the kid's best interest in mind would do. He went at recess, and he urinated in the tea of his co-workers, in their cups and in the pots. That'll teach him. Some of his co-workers actually got a little suspicious. He did this actually more than once. One of them, a 26-year-old named Lee Cow, said, There was a strange smell from my tea for a few weeks. When I returned to class after taking the kids out to the playground, the the cups are not transparent, so it's hard to sell if the liquid looks strange. But there was certainly a strange smell. And so they set up a sting, and they went and they took video with a cell phone. And they caught him in the act. I was going to show you that today. And the censors, who I live with, said not to do it. Tests revealed that Chow did not have any infectious diseases. And so police announced that they could not act against him because he had not done, what he had done had not caused any harm. It's China. He was reportedly given a stern lecture by police and told not to repeat the act. All the victims were given $333 in damages. They all agreed to work together, and Chow promised he would never do it again. The lesson of that story? I don't know. (laughs) Among other things, it's it's probably safer to go ahead and give credit where credit is due lest they do other things to you, right? Now, have you, have you ever had someone at work or somewhere else who took credit for something for your work? It's maddening, right? It's frustrating. It's angry. Do you know that uh, Monster.com did a survey and at, at least 10% of the workforce admits that they either have one time or regularly take credit for somebody else's work, for what other people have done? And it's very, very rare, isn't it, when somebody is given credit for them to stop the person who's given credit and say, whoa, 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 I need you to know I didn't do that. I was not responsible for that. It was them. They're the ones to be commended. They're the ones to be rewarded. I need to point to them. That just doesn't happen very often, does it? Now, this works itself into having a personal relationship with Jesus of Nazareth. Because if you've been coming at all during this 50 days with Jesus that we've been doing, we've been talking about the fact that we, what Jesus asked for, what, in fact, what he presented as the most significant part of being in relationship with him in John 15, and I would encourage you to go regularly back to John 15 and read it and read it and read it to understand what it is that when Jesus Christ described what he wants with you, You'll get a picture there. We've been looking at the fact that this is not just a system of belief. This is not just a place to go to Sundays. This is a, not, not just a way to get to heaven. This is a personal, intimate relationship between you and another person right now, in the here and now, that Jesus is risen. We're going to celebrate that big time next week. That he is living by his spirit. That he is in the room right now with you. That he invites you to have a connected relationship that is perpetually ongoing, aware, and conscious that he is with you. We've talked about what that looks like. 
how we can live that out. We talked about practicing the presence of Jesus right now so, we're, so we would be aware of him, conscious of him, that we would think like he thinks, that we would feel his love toward us, that we would defer to him and his ways, that we would understand that he came to be with us, that we would represent him well. And now today we're going to talk about giving credit where credit is due to somebody else who's in the room to present Jesus. I got two passages I want to invite you to look at today, if we have time. All right. John chapter uh, 9 is the first one, and Matthew chapter 10. So if you got a Bible, I invite you to look. If you don't have a Bible, we got free copies for you. You can get one even now out at the uh, welcome counter. If you've got access to a Bible in some way, I invite you to take, take a look at uh, John chapter 9 to start. And we're going to see something about presenting Jesus, that we're talking about giving him credit for what he's doing, declaring his rightful place of authority, and then delivering the message that he asked everybody who's with him to help deliver. Now, this is, this is one of my favorite stories about Jesus in John chapter 9, when he heals this man who's born blind. And what, what's interesting about it is, is not just that he gives sight to a guy who'd never seen it before, which would be a wonder to see. But what happens afterwards? Because the religious leaders who don't like Jesus at all don't want to give him credit for anything. They don't like what they've seen. And they are going to challenge the guy. And then his family's brought in. And you see all this stuff going on. And watch what happens in this. Because they asked Jesus a question about who was, you know, obviously the man must have done something wrong or is going to do something wrong because he's born blind. It's got to be judgment from God. And Jesus goes, you know, your theology is all wrong anyway. And then just to show that he has authority over that kind of thing and that their theology is wrong, he does this little procedure. And it says in verse uh, 6, having said this, he spit on the ground, he made some mud with the uh, saliva, and he put it on the man's eyes, and he he said, go, uh, wash in the pool of Siloam, which wasn't that far away. And the man went and washed, and he went home, and he could see. That's all it says about that. And then it says his neighbor's. And those who had formerly seen him begging asked, wait, wait, isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? And some claimed that he was. And others said, no, he only looks like him, right? Well, because obviously it's not. This guy can see and that guy can't. But he himself insisted, no, that's me. I'm that guy. I can see. And they asked him the question, well, how then were your eyes opened? They demanded. And he replies, And he points to Jesus. And he replies, the man they called Jesus. He made some mud, put it on my eyes. He told me to go to Siloam and wash. I went and washed, and there I could see. And they said, where's the man? He says, I don't know. But he makes it very clear who gets credit for this. There's this guy, and he's active in my life, and he's the one responsible. I didn't do anything. I didn't pray. I didn't exercise faith. I point to Jesus. That's what happened. Now, the Pharisees, religious bourgeois of the day kind of show up and they they brought him and and they say take a look at what's happened and because it was a sabbath they have these all these religious arguments about what's allowed and what's not allowed and verse 15 says therefore the pharisees also asked him the man who was born blind uh who received his sight what who, who how would this happen and he says the story he put mud on my eyes i washed and now i see and the pharisees said This man, meaning Jesus, well, he's not from God. He doesn't keep the Sabbath. 
Others asked, but, well, how can a sinner do such miraculous signs? There was division among them. And finally, they turned to the blind, blind man. They go, what do you have to say about him? Is your eyes he opened. The man says, well, he's a prophet, obviously. Verse 18, the Jews still didn't believe that he had been blind. They go, this is just a contrived story. This is one of those, you know, tent revival things where the guy's not really blind, just acts like he's blind, walks in. It's a show. And so they sent for the man's parents. So now they're bringing the family in. You know, okay, hey, you, come over here. And they bring, and they bring, now these are authoritative people who are asking these questions. Is this your son, they asked? Is, is this the one you say was born blind? How is it that now he can see? Now here's their answer. Uh, well, we know he's our son. <laughs> Parents answered. We know he was born blind. Okay, good. Thanks for that. But how he can see now or who opened his eyes we don't know. Ask him. He's of age. He will speak for himself. And he gives this commentary about it. it. says, his parents said this because they were afraid of the Jews. For already the Jews had decided that anyone who acknowledged that Jesus was a Christ would be put out of the synagogue. And that's why his parents said, he's of age. Ask him. So now again, a second time, they summon the man. Can you imagine? You just got your sight what you'd want to do. I got stuff I want to see. No, no, come back in. We want to clarify this thing. Well, what happened here? You've got you to tell us how you got your sight. Give glory to God, they said, which is a way of saying swear on the Bible. It's kind of like, you know, in the name of God, you, gotta, you better tell us the truth. Because we know this man, Jesus, is a sinner. Obviously, the implication. He can't do this kind of thing. And he replied, well, whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know. Here's what I know. I was blind, but now I see. There's a song written about that once. And they asked him, what do you do? What did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered, I told you already. Well, I'm not sure if he said it like that, but that's how I would have said it. He did say those words. Why do you want to hear it again? And they asked the question, do you want to become his disciples too? That didn't sit very well. They hurled insults at him. You're, this, you are this fellow's disciple. We are disciples of Moses. We know that God spoke to Moses, but as for this fellow, we don't know where he came from. And the man says, well, that's remarkable. You don't know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. So we know that God, so, so this guy's going to help them think about where they stand with their thinking. So, so we know that God doesn't listen to sinners. He listens to godly men and does, who do his will. And nobody's ever heard of, any, of opening the eyes of a man born blind. So if this man were not from God, he could do nothing. And to this they replied, you don't know what you're talking about. You were steeped in sin from birth, obviously, because you were born blind. How dare you lecture us? And they threw him out. Jesus shows up to this man. He walks over to the man. This is verse 35. It says, do you believe in the Son of Man? And the man says, well, who is he, sir? Tell me so I may believe in him. Jesus says, you have now seen him. Isn't that funny? You have seen him. In fact, he's the one speaking to you. And the man said, Lord, I believe, and he worshipped him. Now, just a few observations about this. Several people point different directions. The man who's born blind is asked, who's doing the active stuff in your life? And he points to Jesus. That's the guy who gets the credit. That's who did it. His, the Pharisees point everywhere else but Jesus. Somehow, some other way, this happened. We don't understand, but we're pointing, whatever we're going to do, we're not going to point to Jesus. 
There's another natural explanation for this. There's another way that we have to understand because we can't accept what you just, who you just pointed to. And the parents, they just refuse, they put their hands in their pockets. They just refuse to point. They don't want to get into trouble. The whole thing repeats itself and there's a principle that's involved with this. Now, there's a lot we can learn about the character of Jesus from this, what it means to have your eyes open. But here's something for our purposes today about what this guy did and why they focused on what happened afterwards even more than the, the, the sight that the man had. When you are with Jesus, practicing the presence of Jesus, when you're in the presence of Jesus, when he's in your life, when you're connected to him, ready for this big theological point? He does stuff. He is doing stuff and part of abiding with Jesus, part of walking with him, part of having a relationship with him is this compulsion that we must be under that says when he does stuff, we point to him. We point, we give proper credit. We give credit where credit is due. We don't take it upon ourselves that the good things happen to us. We're not silent or noncommittal. We don't point to other things or give it credit to other things. We give credit where credit is due. Politicians are pretty well known for taking credit for all the stuff other people do, right? So we know what that looks like. Whether you're Republican or Democrat, you know that your people do that. When George H.W. Bush was going to run for president... He made a claim. And he talked about while it was on his watch that the wall of communism fell down. He says, we brought down the walls. We brought down communism. And Al Gore, who was running opposed to him, said famously, George Bush takes credit for the wall coming down, taking credit for the wall coming down, is like a rooster taking credit for the sun rising. And all the Republicans screamed and all the Democrats cheered. And then when he was running later, Al Gore said, during my service in the United States Congress, I took the initiative in creating the Internet. And all the Democrats squeamed and all the Republicans cheered and we see something. It doesn't matter where you come from. It's just common in our world to not give credit where credit is due to try to find a way to bring it upon ourselves. And when you have a relationship with Jesus, first of all, he's doing stuff. And when he does, part of abiding with him is pointing his direction, giving him the credit. The Bible has a word in the Old Testament for it. In in some translations, the word is to extol. It means to praise or elevate or turn a spotlight on somebody else, to lift them up, to extol them. And the followers of God are said to have the responsibility to give proper credit by extolling him. So here's just a sampling of those uh, dozens of times it says this. I will extol the Lord at all times. Psalm 34, one says, his praise will always be on my lips. Psalm 109.30 says, with my mouth, I will greatly extol the Lord. Psalm 145.10 and finally says, you Your saints will extol you, talking to God. They will tell of the glory of your kingdom and speak of your might so that all men may know of your mighty acts and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. We are called on to extol him. 
that in a second. Why, why, is that, why is that possible? Why is it important? It's, tr- it's because of some things that are true. And I'm going to talk to you who crossed the line of faith. Some of you in the room may not have done that yet. You're exploring this. But you've crossed the line of faith and you've said, I'm declaring myself a follower of Jesus. I'm trusting him as the savior of my sins, but he's also the leader of my life and my present master over my life. I want him in my life. I want to walk through life with him. I'm talking to you. If that is true, then all these things are also true of you. According to Scripture, He is present with you at all times in this very moment in the middle of every circumstance. He is ultimately and absolutely aware of the situations and the details of your life. The numbers of the hairs on your head are known by Him. One less for somebody. Oh, some more or less. It happens. He knows. He's interested. He knows what you need. And he is active. He is doing stuff in your life. The scripture says that once he starts the good work in you, he never stops it. He is always involved in doing things in and around your life. He's involved and he's responsible. And as a result of that, there is not a single thing that you or I have been, rece- have been receptors of or given in our life, not a single thing. You might think your hands earned the money and you went out and bought it. There's not a single thing you possess. There's not a single, single thing that's true of you that did not come directly from him, directly from him. 1 Corinthians 4 says it. What do you have that God hasn't given you? And if all you have is from God, why would you boast as though you have accomplished something on your own? He is the one who's given you the good gifts you've got. He's the one. James says, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights. That is true for everybody in the room who names the name and calls on the name of Jesus of Nazareth to be their leader and their, and their savior. Those who are of us who are saying we want a relationship, we want to walk with him, that is true. And as a result of that, proper credit means we point to the one who's responsible. We say he is the one who glory is due to. Jim Peterson, an author, wrote, wrote he, he coined this phrase or used this phrase. He said that followers of Jesus, when they do that, he calls it raising the flag. The flag that says, it's like the banner that we march under. And you hold up a flag to say what country you're part of or what group you're part of or what army you're part of. That when you, when you vocalize that Jesus did stuff in your life, you're raising the flag of association. I am connected with him. That it comes, It's reflected in passages like Psalm 20. That says, we will shout for joy when you're victorious. Talking to God. And we will lift our banners in the name of God. Of our God, the song that we just learned, or that we're going to sing later, has the, talks about lifting a banner. When we do that in front of other people, we are lifting the banner. That's what this man did in John 9. They said, these are people who were leveraging him over and over again, come up with an exp- another explanation. Come up with a natural solution. Tell us you're lying. Say something. Just don't point to that man because we don't think... Because, because we believe he's a sinner. This is a man against all opposition, stands up and says, I'm raising the banner. He didn't even fully know who he was. He said, I'll tell you what, there was a guy. I think he's a prophet. Jesus then tells him more about who he is. 
But when they ask him, he says absolutely point blank in in verse 11, the man they called Jesus. That's who did it. Now, let me ask you a question. Because I don't want that just to be a story in a book. I want it to be applicable to my life. So how do I do that? If this whole thing is 50 days with Jesus, and part of living with him is extolling him and pointing, how, what does that look like in my life? What it means is we go the further step. Because most of us in the room would say we're grateful for what God's given us, right? I mean, we would probably all say that. And if somebody complimented you on something that's good that's happened in your life, it'd be easy to say, thank you, I'm, I'm you know, maybe, I, maybe we'd even use some secret code words, I'm blessed, which implies somebody did the blessing. But to point to Jesus, to give him the proper credit, is to say his name. To say to, to, to the watching world, there is one who is responsible for this happening in my life. It, what it means is that when something happens in our life and somebody sees it and they're glad it happens, we go on and say, you know what, I prayed about this. And Jesus said yes this time. When something turns our way, we say, I believe that God enabled that to happen. I believe that's a gift directly from the hand of Jesus Christ in my life. Jesus did that. Some of you have done this, and it happened to somebody I know where they go into a store and they come out and they look at their receipts. They're always looking for ways they got ripped off because the thing that was on sale didn't register, and they looked at it and they realized that they weren't charged for certain things. Took the receipt back into the place and said, uh, there's something wrong with my, my receipt. And when they said, I owe you more money than you charged me, that person looked at him funny like, what? Specifically, the person behind the counter asked them, why would you come back in and do that? And at that moment, some of us would say, you know, it's the right thing to do. Some would say, you know what? Um, I'm an honest person. And some would say, the reason I do it is because I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. I'm trying to reflect his character. This is what he made me to be. And when we do that, we are presenting Jesus. We're pointing right directly because he's there with you, right? He's standing right there through his spirit. He may not be standing there in the flesh but you know that he is with you. You know that he prompted you. You know who's responsible. And you point to him and say, his name is Jesus. And for a whole lot of us, we live in a world where people roll their eyes when people do that. I won, I won the award. And I want to thank the Lord Jesus Christ for my award. I want to thank the Lord that my team won. Everybody throws up their arms. Oh, so God's a fan of your team, but not the other team. All this stuff. Oh, oh so what, what, why are we dragging God? Who does, what does God care about who wins a game or what happens with an award like that? Okay, I get it. Because it can be cliche, but if it comes your, from your heart, why would you not? If I really believe that every gift I have has come directly from the one who said, I, my life belongs to him, I walk with him, and he brought it into my life, why would I not point to him in that moment? Let's face it. It's not that hard for us to do. Joked about this last week. When you live with someone, you tell stories about what they did in your life. And some, some of us are talking about this 
Clever things our kids said and clever things our kids did. And when they win an award and when they do stuff, or we, or we talk about people who we work with and we say they did this or they, they did that. Why? Because we're aware that they're there. It's not a stretch to say there is a living, present person in my life who directly is responsible for bringing that into him and I'm just going to give him credit. That's all I'm doing. How hard is that for you? Can I encourage you? You can do this. If you look in our companion resources that we're almost done with for today of 50 Days with Jesus, you'll see a suggested exercise this week, and that is to point to Jesus and give him credit this three different times in three different settings in the next week. Just to mention his name, that he's responsible for something good that happened, that he's responsible for, for blessing in your life. To give him credit. Can I just go ahead and challenge you to take up that gauntlet this week? Watch what happens. Watch what happens regardless of the reaction. Watch what happens in your heart and relationship with him. Now that's one way that we point his direction. We give him proper credit. Another way is that we acknowledge his dominion. Again, the, the, New Te- the Old Testament has words to describe what this means. There's the word is the, the one word that gets translated a lot to declare his glory. Another word that gets translated to proclaim his rightful position. And so, a lot of the Psalms talk about that. When, like Psalm ninety six two says, "Sing to the Lord, praise His name, and proclaim His salvation." It's to announce it. It's to say, acknowledge His dominion and what He's done. And do it day after day. Declare his glory among the nations. His marvelous deeds among all, all people. Psalm 95 says, Come, let's sing for joy to the Lord and let, let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before him with thanksgiving and extol him with music and song. Those who are with him, Jesus, are compelled to amplify the presentation of who he is to the surroundings. Because you know why? You know this. You live in a country that doesn't do that. The United States of America does not acknowledge itself. Oh, we say one nation under God, but it functionally, we don't, we, we will not, and we refuse as a country to acknowledge that we are under the authority of Jesus Christ because we're a pluralistic society. We're a democracy. Everybody's welcome. We respect that. So we, so we have no state religion and we have freedom. And what that's turned into is a disdain for anybody who attempts to declare or recognize that one being is the rightful authority over a domain. We don't want to acknowledge that we're responsible to him. We don't want to acknowledge that we are dependent on him. Tolkien's book, The Hobbit, is now being redone in three too long movies. And they, and, but in the original uh, book, which actually I read the book before the movie, that's like one of the first times in my life I've ever done that. Tolkien wrote about the, the Shire, where the hobbits live, and it's this quaint little peaceful place. But they, after so long, that no one ever bothers them. They're far from the uh, other places. They're far from the, the realm of men. They're just kind of off by themselves. And so over time, they began to have this mentality, this, this assumption that they were just at peace and things were good for them because no one wanted to mess with the big bad hobbits. And they weren't aware that forces of evil would have overrun them multiple times except for in places that they had never saw with people they'd never met. There were men who were fighting battles to keep the lines drawn and in essence protected the hobbits from evil. 
The same thing is absolutely true among people who will not recognize that Jesus Christ is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. We can absolutely insist that he has no place here, that we can't establish him as the Lord over this place, and it's wrong for any of us to claim that. But you know what? It doesn't change the fact that the King of kings is the rightful Lord over this land, and he is is the rightful Lord over every tribe, every nation, every tongue. He is the rightful Lord, whether it's acknowledged or not. Jesus said that all authority is given to him on heaven and earth, that every knee will bow, every tongue will confess someday. He is not just a king, he is the king of kings. He is the Lord of all lords. A while back, not too long ago, we went to um, downtown Columbus to visit the gallery hop because our friend uh, Julie had a, a porch, uh, uh, her artwork was on display in a gallery. Neat. We parked there people all over the place in a span of about three blocks walking. I counted about a half dozen different organizations and groups who were set up to try to get people's attention to establish that their cause or their religion was worth paying attention to, was worth people rallying around. Now, I happen to notice, it's not that it doesn't happen sometimes, I happen to notice that none of those were about Jesus. But there were people singing the praises of another God over here. There were people rallying the cause of another purpose over here. And there were people who, as, as far as I could tell, as I walked along, I thought there, if I stood in front of those people and I said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the rightful Lord over your organization or over your souls, I can imagine the response I would have got. It was very, very clear that that was not held to. And a couple of things went through my mind when that was happening. And my wife says, I, I do this weird thing where I, get, I grieve for all the world because we're all so lost. Okay, I do. But something else happened because it was a Saturday night. And I found myself thinking, I can't wait for tomorrow morning. Because while I long for the whole world to recognize who his rightful king is, tomorrow morning, I'm going to be in a place. And I can, I'll be able to say, that the world may not recognize it loud, but now, but at least in this place, at this moment, with these people, with these voices, he will hear what is rightfully true about him. I'm going to gather with some people and we are going to declare, we're going to point to Jesus. We're going to say, the world may not recognize it, but right here, this territory is yours. These hearts are yours. We acknowledge what is absolutely true. And so we assemble to say that and to declare and to proclaim. To give him proper accolades. It's Palm Sunday, right? And, you know, it's recognized that a week before the crucifixion or before the resurrection, Jesus entered the gates of the city and they put palm branches down and people were shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They were acknowledging in that moment, these people who would later betray him, later would call for his crucifixion. They were saying, you are the king. You're the rightful king. When they were doing it, some people were reprimanding it. Said, tell your disciples to stop saying that. And Jesus said, if they don't say it, the rocks will say it. Because it must be said. 
it needs to be announced and verbalized. Something happens when that occurs. Having a relationship with Jesus, walking through life means that I am regularly and routinely in a position where I add my voice and I acknowledge his dominion. I've never quite ever understood people who, men, I mean, men are pigs, I know, and, and we, we're very insensitive, we're not very romantic, but when, when a man is talking to his wife on the phone, and there are other people in the hearing of that, and he says goodbye, she might say, I love you, and he goes, hey, yeah, you too, you too. Because, you know, it doesn't feel very manly or something to actually say those words. I got to tell you, and I'm not trying to make any statements about myself. I've never quite understood that. Because I got to tell you, in my heart and in my mind, I hit the lottery. And to have the person in my life choose me that I wanted so desperately to choose. She chose me. She said she would live her life with me. When it's time I'm on the phone with her, I'm like putting it in your face to say, I love you. (laughs) Deal with that, suckers. (laughs) Because if it's right and it's true and it's real, why would I not want to announce it? Why would I not want to let people know that I got to be in this cool, close position that none of the rest of you got to be? That's just me. So in, our, so in our family, I go, I love you. And she goes, yeah, you do. <laughs> she doesn't do that. We point his direction by giving credit where it's due and acknowledging his dominion. Now, one more thought, and I'm going to take you to another passage, right? Matthew chapter 10. If you're walking through the life with him, if you're, in, if you're in constant connection with Jesus, there's something you've got to know is true. And I'm just going to throw it out there and then we'll, we'll see how that shows itself. Everyone who abides with Jesus is commissioned to spread his message. Everyone. Nellie just got back from Russia where she went and, and took the name of Jesus to people who had never heard. We, a lot of us prayed for her and 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 supported some of us and and she came back and we herald that and, and some of us would go well that's cool i'm so glad that somebody listened to the call and they took the commission of jesus to spread his message i'm glad people do that but you need to understand this you walk with jesus he chooses you everybody who was in his circle everybody who was follower got sent everybody in matthew 10 he he, he does it with his disciples he's got 12 disciples he doesn't choose three of them doesn't choose, choose eight of them, he, all 12 of them. Matthew 10, 1, he calls the 12 disciples and he gives them authority to drive out evil spirits, heal, heal every disease and sickness. It names them, and then it says in verse 5, these 12, Jesus sent out. And verse 6, he says, go to the lost sheep of Israel. As you go preach this message, the kingdom of heaven is near. The rightful king and the way to heaven is near. Kingdom expansion is the mandate of of those who walk with Jesus. He also goes on to say that everybody who's with him is going to have to understand something. There's going to be unavoidable opposition when you do it. Just know it. 
Here's another example of it. Just about every time Jesus calls on people to go spread this message, he goes, now hang on, it's not going to go well for you. Great. Verse 13. 12. As you enter the home, give it your greeting. If the home is deserving, let your peace rest on it. If it's not, let your peace return to you. If anyone will not welcome you or listen to your words, shake the dust off your feet. When you leave that home or town, I'll tell you the truth, it will be more bearable for Sodom and Gomorrah on the day of judgment than for that, that town. I am sending you out like sheep among wolves. Get used to it, everybody. Get used to it. This is not going to go easy. It's not going to be well responded to. Sheep among wolves. Therefore, be as shrewd as snakes, innocent as doves. Be on your guard against men. They'll hand you over to the local councils and flog you in their synagogues. On my account, you will be brought before governors and kings and witnesses as witnesses to them and to the Gentiles. He goes on to give instructions about what happens when, when it happens. But verse 26, he says, Don't be afraid of them. There's nothing concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known. What I tell you in the dark, speak in the daylight. What is whispered in your ear, proclaim from the roofs. Do not be afraid of those who can kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. He says, look, I care about you. But know this, verse 32, whoever acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge before my Father in heaven. Whoever disowns me before men, will dis- I will disown him before my Father in heaven. There's unavoidable opposition, but the call is to be very bold, be courageous, and be re- relentless. And I'll say it again. If you have said at any point during this series, yeah, what we're talking about, about connecting with Jesus, that, that's the intention he wants. That, if you have said, I want that. I want to be that person who knows him and is aware of his presence and gets stronger and practicing it. I want to think like he thinks. I want to rep- represent him well. If that is the case, then know that everyone who does that is commissioned to present his message to others. The territory you're sent to do it in is the hearts of people who don't have it to receive it. And what we're sent to represent is the gospel, the good news. It is a very specific message. It is not just that there is a God. It's not just that Jesus is his son. It is what his son came to do and the offer he came to purchase and how we respond to it. The apostle Paul said in a very famous passage, brothers, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you which you received and on which you have taken your stand. And he says, this is it, that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures. He was buried. He was raised on the third day, according to the scriptures. Now, there are innate difficulties that we will fight. And you just saw some in Matthew 10. There's a reason why you may be uncomfortable to say, I need to point to Jesus. I need to give him credit. I need to declare his message to some people around me. There is resistance to that. There are people who will not respond well to that. And again, verses 16 to 8, or, uh, 14 to 18 show that. And so we fight. We fight against the enemy of God who will try to thwart us in it. We fight against the resistance of the independent spirit of men who say, no one will be, tell me what to do. I will not bow to anyone, even your Jesus of Nazareth. And you know what else we fight against? We fight against all kinds of misrepresentations. People who present Jesus in ways that we're kind of embarrassed about. 
You know, this week, a person I'm very aware of, pastor of a, a mega church in Fort Lauderdale, Florida, resigned. And this week, a congressman from Louisiana who ran on the platform of being a conservative Christian who would represent those values, resigned. They both resigned for the same reason, infidelity in their marriages. And while there's healing available, and while I think God's grace is, is, can, can cover that, the rest of us have to deal with the fallout. That there are those who point to those things and say, see, that's what Jesus is like. That's the message. We're, you are so full of hypocrisy. It undermines everything that's true. And let me just say this, even for some in the room who may have found yourself wondering or discrediting it because of that, please, please do not judge the veracity of the message of Jesus based on the lives of his followers. Judge it based on the life of Jesus. Look at Jesus and decide what's true. We carry a a mandate to keep presenting that. I think you should invite people to Easter. Yeah, I know there are people who show up at Easter because that's what it's time to do. You know what? I don't care. Bring them. Invite them. Go, Go on. Say, I'm going. Come with me. If there's an opening, you take it and you with boldness, you present that there is a message that somebody's life depends on. There's this word that's become a bad word in our culture. The people who do that kind of thing, they say, well, whatever you do, you're not proselytizing, are you? Proselytizing, that's just, that's disrespectful. Proselytizing, you're trying to, con- you're trying to convert people from one system of belief, something they've based their whole life on, to something else. You're trying to go in and tell them that their way is inaccurate and your way is better or superior or right when theirs is wrong. How dare you? How can you be so arrogant as to proselytize? You don't proselytize, do you? And I say, if that's how you want to define the word, you're darn right I'm proselytizing. Because I didn't make this stuff up. This isn't true because I believe it. I believe it because it's true. I believe it because my faith is based on a claim that the Jesus that we're about to celebrate in our country this week in ways that don't usually, all of a sudden his name's going to be used on television. We'll get to watch the Ten Commandments on television. You know, all this stuff that's going to happen that we do. I don't even know why we do this, some of these things this time of year. But everybody, and a whole bunch of people flood out and say, yeah, okay, Jesus is just all right, all right. That Jesus. That Jesus is the gift of God. The way to have sin absolved. The way for a person to know and be restored to the God who made them. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And so I want to stand with the Apostle Paul and says, I am not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God for salvation of everyone who believes. Do I want proselytize? Well, look at what 2 Corinthians 5 says. Since then, we know what it is to fear the Lord. We try to persuade men. Of course I'm going to try to persuade them. Not because I get any gain out of it. Because if it's true, it's true. Yeah, but you just say it's true. How do you know it's true? I point to Jesus. That's all I got. 
Can I just say this to those who are fighting through that even decision here? Those in the room who are considering the claims and not sure where you stand, you don't know how it all lines up with the Bible being true or science and religion and all that kind of stuff. Can I just urge you, open your heart and look at Jesus and ask yourself, what does my heart tell me is true? Do I need him or not? There are three ways that I see that we present Jesus. Not because we're commanded to do it, but just because we're with him when he's doing stuff. And so we give him proper credit for what he does in our lives. And we announce and declare his message. And we combine our voices to acknowledge that we say, this is his dominion. He is the rightful Lord. Here's your first assignment. You get a chance to do that right now. You ask the band to come up, and they're going to start some music. And they're going to do some songs, and you may know some, and you may not know some, and some are new songs. But right now, we get a chance to say it again. That we might function in a world that will refuse to acknowledge what's true. But here's what we're going to say. At least in this time. At least in this particular room. At least with these particular people. We are going to say. We're going to lend our voices. to. Do, we're going to point and give him credit. And we're going to say there is a rightful Lord over all of our lives. And we are declaring to Jesus Christ, you are him. You ready? Stand with us. Let's do it.